You're listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, winner of the Share Care Emmy Award for Social Storytelling and the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Hey, y'all, and welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and today I'm excited because I have a guest, and what's exciting about this guest is that she is an Olympian, and I know that there are some of you out there who have been doing the physique and bodybuilding coach thing, and you are thinking that this is the Olympia bodybuilding, and it's not. This is the Olympics Olympia. So <laughs> I have an Olympic athlete. She did the uh, the heptathlon, which is a uh, the grouping of like seven different events, and she is with us today. She's also an NASM certified personal trainer. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Louise Hazel. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Rick. Yeah, I'm super excited that you're here. So, do us a favor. Give us a little information about you, your your background, the athletic events that you've done, and um, and how you kind of got connected with NASM. Absolutely. Um, so um, as you quite um, quite rightly said, I'm a heptathlete. So my former career, I was an Olympic athlete for Great Britain. I took part in the heptathlon event, which is seven track and field events. Normally when I say heptathlon, people always think, oh, like, is that horse riding and all of that stuff? No, no, no. It's all track and field. Um, but they should so- probably add it. That would be fun. Absolutely. No, no. Now that I've retired. Um, So the heptathlon is seven track and field events, high jump, long jump, shot put, javelin, 800 meters, 200 meters, and the sprint hurdles. So it has its roots typically in in lots of power events, um, which is really interesting. And it's been a humongous, and we'll probably talk and touch upon this um, later. But um, you know, with its roots in power, it's extremely useful to me um, as a personal trainer and now training women to get them to understand that there are different ways to train strength. Um, you know, with the only event being the 800 meters, which is typically, you know, has its, its roots in endurance. Um, so yeah, I'm basically a power athlete. I was predominantly a sprint-based um, heptathlete, which means, you know, tons of speed, lots of fast twitch, um, muscle fibers and now I own a gym in Los Angeles since retiring from oh. um, track and field it's called Slay and it's a personal training studio um, I would say it's female first and I say that because we're probably 95% female and of the male clients that we do have that come in they're typically the husbands of the wives so it's a real kind of reverse in terms of um, you know what we're typically seeing in the health and fitness industry and I felt like it was an important um, space to create. I, you know, as I moved to Los Angeles and as I transitioned into personal training, um, and we'll touch, I guess, more upon that as well. Um, as I transitioned oh, yeah. into training, I realized that there really wasn't any safe spaces for women to explore their bodies, explore their um, relationship with fitness outside of typical big box gyms or more boutique facilities that were always catered and really seemed to be centered around um, serving the male customer first. So I wanted to create something different and a place where women could really explore their bodies in a way that they hadn't necessarily had the opportunity. And that's really, you know, what our space Slay is all about. Okay. So let me ask about that. Um, I, I, I knew about Slay. I knew Slay existed. I wasn't entirely sure 
what it was. So I was going to ask you about that. Did you happen, did you work at gyms uh, as a fitness professional prior to going to this or is just your experience being in gyms and you were like, I know what I want and I know what I don't want? Absolutely. So um, my experience with gyms was predominantly as a member and then obviously as an elite athlete. And so my first introduction to a gym, we actually owned a gym back home in the UK. Uh, my parents ran a um, successful pub and hotel business. And so we actually had a fitness gym or at least a boxing gym at the back of our um, hotel. And so from a young age, um, you know, I would train with the local boxing squad and I was responsible for coming up with the ab exercises, which was really good fun. And then, um, you know, my more formal gym setting, more my introduction to that was really a high performance center where we were, let's say, maybe 12 athletes tops, maybe like eight to 12 elite athletes training in a very small space. Probably the gym, I would say, was maybe 2,000 square feet with three um, lifting platforms. There was very um, limited amount of equipment. We never trained with kettlebells. You know, it was really just geared towards the high, high, high performance sport. You know, we had world record holders. Um, There were literally, it was literally a gym for us eight athletes. Um, Other athletes weren't allowed in the gym. So we were very lucky and fortunate to have this um, unique space to ourselves. And, um, you know, after retiring from sport, that was the first time really that I invested in my own gym membership. And I noticed, um, especially, you know, in Los Angeles, um, that there was a huge kind of cultural shift. I'd always trained alongside my male counterparts in track and field. But when I reached a commercial gym, I noticed that the members were very separated. You know, the female clients typically um, skewed towards the cardiovascular equipment and perhaps fixed machinery. And the male um, clients and the male members were, you know, taking over the weight, free weight section and every other square footage. And so I noticed that there was this culture and dynamic that I'd never really been part of before. And so, you know, having been an athlete, I always had the confidence to maneuver around the gym, pick up the weights that I needed, rack up the bar, perhaps do some cleans and, you know, perform lifts that really just weren't being typically performed by by many members of the gym at all and that was when really I knew that I needed to create my own space because um, there really wasn't anything out there there wasn't really wasn't the space in Los Angeles at least um, for what it was I wanted to to create so our gym is is very much more like the high performance center small square footage you know, Do you see that? I'm sorry to interrupt, but when you when you have these things like you're you're talking about loading up a bar and doing cleans or some other Olympic lifts, um, in this environment that you're going into, what is it like for women uh, in general? Because I even for men, a lot of times here where I am in New York, you might you might see lifting platforms and just think that it's a squat rack with some cushions in the bottom. So mm-hmm. when you start to get people involved in this, what what's generally the, uh, is there pushback? Is there resistance when you have women and you're like, hey, we are about to do a hang clean followed by a clean, then we're gonna learn snatches. And you know, are they like, whoa, 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 <laughs> this, is, this is not for me. Or are they like, this is really a phenomenal opportunity. I think, um, you know, in in membership gyms, 
I like to call the kind of lifting platform the intimidation station for women. Um, mm. It's not something that they've grown up with. If they hadn't competed in, you know, um, sports at college, then they may have never been introduced to Olympic lifting. Um, and so they haven't yet, you know, really ever experienced or pushed their bodies, you know, beyond the capabilities of just basic general fitness and general mm. preparedness. And so, you know, I have the opportunity at Slay to be able to um, show them something completely different than they've ever done before. And that to me is a really beautiful transition. I always start off just familiarizing our clients with free weights. And then, you know, we might move on to um, barbells. And before they know it, you know, they might be hitting, you know, a, a hand clean or something like that. And so my aim as a coach is not only to um, get my clients to their individual goals, but also to get also to teach them something that they would never have had the opportunity to perhaps learn. And that to me is um, extremely worthwhile because I think as um, a woman, it's a completely different experience than it is for a man stepping into a gym, but to unearth new skills that you never knew that you had, um, is some, it adds confidence in a completely different way completely different than losing 10 pounds you know it's um it really really adds to creating a very holistic approach to to one's lifestyle changes right so how did you then kind of go from your being a professional athlete to connecting with the NASM becoming NASM certified did did you have coaches that had that education that had worked with you when you were doing your training like what's the what's the history with this so education for me has always been extremely important i was actually an ambassador for um, the equivalent of NASM in the uk called reps the register of exercise professionals oh, yeah. um, so i'd always grown um, you know ever since qualifying as a personal trainer um, I'd been in an ambassadorial role and I always felt like it was really important um, to be a spokesperson for women in the fitness industry um, and also a leader. Um, it's important to me that I get the opportunity to pass on the information and the skills that I've learned as an elite performer onto the next generation of um, aspiring female trainers. Um, I think it's really important that we um, set the bar really, really high and we understand that um, there's entry level, you know, coming in as a personal trainer, but the things that are going to make you more marketable, more successful as a trainer is your continued education. Um, those are the things that are going to help you to add value to your clients on an everyday basis. It doesn't matter whether it's, you know, a new kettlebell um, instructor course or, you know, it's with regards to becoming just a, a better professional in general. Um, there are always ways that you can upskill in your profession if you're if you're looking for um, that self-improvement and that work. And so it was a natural transition for me to seek out NASM. Um, and I re recognize them as a, a global leader in the US, or at least global leader, national leader um, in the education space. And, you know, I reached out immediately um, when I got to Los Angeles to make sure that I was current and hold, held the necessary documents and certificates and qualifications in order to transition my qualification in the UK over to the US territory. I love that. That's fantastic. And, and you're speaking my language. I, I have uh, a few personal training gyms in New York. And every once in a while, I get some people that are like, um, you know, I've been training for a long time. And uh, you know, I ask for 
their CPR AED, their national certification that's NCCA accredited, and their insurance. And they might give me two of the three, and then they'll say, um, I don't have my, my, my NASM or whatever lapsed, um, but I don't really feel like I need to do that because I've been doing this for a long time. And, and I just, I'm like, you're talking to the wrong person. <laughs> like, I'm, not, I'm not the person that you are going to get by with this because I've gone through a lot of education and mm -hmm. I don't stop. It's not like, oh, I've, I've reached this point in my life where I can stop learning. It's like I've reached a point in my life where I realize that you don't stop learning that it is a process you're constantly taking it on so when Absolutely. i go through and bring this stuff in it's vital to for me to hear other people talk about this process of lifelong learning and and being proud of being educated not being on the other end going oh i'm i'm too good i'm i'm too smart already <laughs> and uh, and i don't need anything else like we can always work on self and progress in that way 100 i'm i'm totally with you you know i think that there's i think if you feel like you're done learning in life um then probably two things there's a level of arrogance um mm. you know that that comes with that and there's a level of humbling that comes with understanding that we don't necessarily know it all and we haven't experienced every single client in every single situation there's always something to to learn every single day um and that's not necessarily just about um the reps and sets it's not about the load it's right. sometimes about how to deal with the individual and understanding that um part of being a personal trainer is being able to select the appropriate response whether that be a personal response in terms of an interaction whether it be um, the correct response in how to check out a client or whether it be yeah. the right response in terms of how is my client progressing um, towards their goals and what's the next step for them with regards to the next training block, for example. Um, we're never done learning. And as a person who has, you know, really been around some of the top professionals, strength and conditioning coaches, massage therapists, chiropractors, one of the things that were really underpinned all of the people that I'd worked with um, at Olympic level was the fact that they were taking regular courses and they were regularly upskilling. You know, my um, massage therapist who worked with me for the Olympic Games, um, you know, every single year she'd be doing something new, taking acupuncture. Um, she actually recently went back and got a master's, wrote a book about um, sacroiliac joint dysfunction. Um, and so, you know, these are the professionals that, again, saw me through my athletics career and were already approaching their like, kind of late 40s, early 50s and still upskilling, still coming together as a community um, in order to better support the athletes that they serve. And so my answer is, if you think you know it all, then you're probably in the wrong job. Um, there's always something to learn about how to better serve people. Yeah, thank you for that. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is the NASM CPT podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and I am delighted to host uh, NASM certified personal trainer, Luis Hazel, who is also uh, an Olympic heptathlete who has retired and moved on into the personal training world, has a gym in Los Angeles. Let me ask you a question about that transition. What was it like to 
to to hang up the hat and say, all right, so the the world uh, being a professional athlete is now over. First of all, mm-hmm. is that hard to say? Uh, was it hard to do? And then what was the transition like? Were you were you grasping for things or did you know that this was your next step? I think uniquely for me personally, it was easy. Um, as mm. soon as the Olympics had, had been concluded in 2012, I knew that that was my last ever heptathlon. Um, I then participated, so that would have been in the um, August, the July, August of that year. And I already knew in the January, I was gonna actually focus just on the hurdles um, as that was an area of my heptathlon that I really succeeded in. And I remember getting to the indoor season in track and field and looking around and just feeling a bit lackluster and a bit stale. And I also looked at my training group, whom I absolutely adored during my track and field career. And I was kind of bored of the same conversations. And I was like, it's definitely time for me to move on. And I remember um, saying to my mum, you know, I'm done with the heptathlon. I'm retiring from it. This is my last competition. And I think when you explain that to your friends and family, it's almost more sad for them than it is for you I'd already made my decision a long time ago and it certainly feels much better as an athlete and I would recommend this to any athlete who's competing at any level to dump the sport first don't let the sport dump you and what I mean by that is when I speak to fellow athletes who have had to retire from sport because they had a career-ending injury um, or they're retiring because they never reached the peak or the level that they thought that they would reach The key really is to understand your potential and your limit. And once you feel like you've kind of hit that limit, it's time to to kind of cut the cord and do so really quickly. So, um, you know, I transitioned into uh, working in the television industry in the UK um, as a sports presenter and sports personality. So I would take part in shows such as Ninja Warrior, for example, um, and I would come on and I would basically be what I call paid muscle. Um, uh, I would basically have to come on and perform, you know, all kinds of different athletic, not basically the same as the heptathlon, really. Just, you know, perform athletic achievements on screen. It was no different than to me than track and field, apart from the fact that I might be going up against a pop star or something like that. Right. <laughs> And then it wasn't until I moved to Los Angeles, working in television was great. Um, I took part in a television show called MTV's The Challenge, um, which is hugely popular, wildly popular over here. We did a spin-off show called Champ, uh, Pros versus Joes or Champs versus Stars. Oh yeah. Champs versus Stars. And again, you know, that was really fun. It was a great way for me to express um, my athleticism and also personality. And then after the show, what I realized is they're really aren't many too many other television shows that require you know their hosts to be extremely physical um you know outside the realm of sport and I was I knew at that point that personal training was calling me and I was scared to really take on a book of clients and start building out my diary because I always thought that television jobs you know sometimes would take up to eight weeks of my time would then prevent me from serving the client base that I created And so I was always in this kind of place where am I going to do this? Am I not going to do this? I was fearful. And I, for the first time, I just thought, just stop doubting yourself, build out the diary. um, And if you end up booking a television job, you'll figure it out. And it was for the first time I actually, you know, spoke to other trainer in another trainer in the business um, 
a male trainer and I felt like I had some support. So I thought, you know, at mm. least if I, if I end up with a few clients, I can always um, have him take them on for, for a little period of time. So that was a really interesting thing really understanding that a lot of the time as personal trainers, unless you're working in a big box gym, we are individual contractors, we're self-employed, but understanding that there's there's strength in community and aligning myself yeah. with other trainers was the thing that enabled me to actually become the trainer I am today, but also be now a business owner, you know, which is altogether completely different skill set. That is true. And I've, I've talked on the podcast before. I know a lot of people are interested in how can I uh, own a gym? I want to have my own space. And, you know, just because you're a good tactician doesn't mm. necessarily mean you're a good business owner. Yes. And we see that a lot in management, like people who are really good at personal trainers in the corporate field in the corporate industry and they say oh this person's training 40 sessions a week let's make them a manager and they're not a good manager they're just a really fantastic trainer Absolutely. and so sometimes you need to keep your strong people in their strong suit just because they're good at it doesn't mean they can help lead other people to be good at it um, and there's there's a drive there and and it pulls you in different ways right so I don't know if I'm, I'm assuming you've probably experienced this, but when you start transitioning also to focus on business, your continuing education also starts to focus a little more on business. So you may not necessarily remember origin and insertion of muscles and their innervation and their joint action and plane of motion, but you're starting to figure out what your key performance indicators are and how to build your business and what is the difference between marketing and advertising and PR and all of those things that, that start to guide your attention more because, again, you're trying to create this balance between being the tactician and being the, the business owner. Absolutely. I think you're either working in the business as the trainer or on the business as, um, you know, the CEO or, you know, the owner. Um, and I like to think about, um, you know, I like to run the business very, very seasonally. So for me, um, the times when I really love to focus on education is the back end of the year in the winter yeah. um, in this weird sense, because we're kind of all tucked away. So between the months of November through to January, that's when I love, absolutely love to dive in on education. Um, and we're always tapping in. In the gym, we have one, two, three, four trainers now, um, including myself. And every Friday we have a team meeting. And in the team meeting, we set aside time to talk about um, housekeeping items or you know, um, business topics. But then we also pick um, an educational um, pointer as well. And so that might be something that we've worked on with one of our clients. It might be a question that's come up in the gym so that we have a melting pot um, and there's communication there and also also learning opportunities. opportunities. And sometimes those learning, learning opportunities are mine to be received. Mm -hmm. um, and so creating an environment whereby um, you carve out time, it doesn't matter whether you are a business owner or a personal trainer and you know, you're an employee, but carving out a specific time, I find, of the year to focus on education, because Lord knows, um, you know, when you're doing perhaps 40 hours a week, the time that you spend outside of personal training, a lot of the time I feel like is time that you want to take back for yourself, because it really is a service yes. job. 
Um, and, you know, when you're seeing clients back to back and you're not just serving them from a programming perspective, you can be serving them from an um, emotional perspective. It does take a lot out of you. So, you know, scheduling the time to take that education side back for yourself, I would, I re would really encourage all of you to do. Oh, 100%. Ladies and gentlemen, again, this is the NASM CPT podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and I'm hosting Louise Hazel, who is here sharing her wisdom, experience, and know-how when it comes to uh, her experience as an athlete, but then moving on into what it is that we do, what we do in our daily lives. She's a fitness professional. She's out there changing lives, meeting people, instructing uh, clients, running businesses, all the things that we have to do as fitness professionals, even if we work for somebody else. It is it is somebody else's business, but it's our business and they're our clients and we care for them and we, uh, we guide them and we foster them in so many different ways. Um, but you've created a wonderful niche in what you do where you're working primarily with women. Uh, and, I, and I know that, that you wanted to create that space um, to, to give women a safe place where they feel like in, they can really excel. Are there some challenges that you've come across where you're like, all right, so now I'm working with women and I have this environment I like to train them in. Um, what are some of the challenges that you might get from that? Yeah, so I think the main challenge um, is one of misinformation amongst female mm. population. Um, one of the things that we are really um, challenged by in the gym every single day of the week, but more importantly, from January onwards, has been um, the ways in which this year we are helping our clients to understand uh, more about their nutrition, uh, more about their calorie intake and the role in which their nutrition plays in assisting them towards their, their health and fitness goals. So the majority of our female clients, um, majority of them all have weight loss goals. And so the idea that um, therefore less calories, the better, um, and uh. making them understand that actually that's not necessarily the case for some of the women who have come in with you know uh, problems with regards to hormones, being in calorie deficits for too long. There's definitely a fear factor amongst female populations of um, um, gaining fat mass, um, lifting and gaining muscle mass. And so there really is this fine dance with as much as, you know, our brand is about, and we've done a good job at creating a space that enables women to focus very much on what their bodies can do every day as opposed to how their bodies look. The huge challenge yes. really is um, the fact that a lot of the goals that we encounter are vanity goals. And so enabling and giving our, our clients the ability and the confidence to understand that whilst um, there might be this goal that is uh, very much an aesthetic goal um, in mind, that there are so many other benefits to the exercise that they're doing on a daily basis and the lifestyle changes that they're making for themselves and getting them out of the scarcity mindset um, that everything is just short term and that I can lose X amount of pounds in X amount of weeks. Um, and really breaking down some of the misinformation that we're up against in the industry itself. And also, you know, the evolve, the evolving of new products to the industry. So this year, I would say that the major threat to the female fitness industry is Ozempic. And so we're having many, many conversations at the moment about the impact of that on the female physique and also the female psyche. 
you know, we talk about the reason I think we're here as um, personal trainers isn't to take the shortcut. Um, and that's never really been the way in track and field either. There's never been, uh, they, I remember a quote that says, um, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember it now. It's so funny. Um, right. no Take your time and let it come to you because I know it's going to be good. <laughs> Absolutely. There are no shortcuts to any place worth going. And so um, I think never a truer word was said, especially when that pertains to the fitness industry. When we're looking for quick results, it's always at the expense of our wider health. It's all it can. And, you know, where are the new drug Ozempic is concerned? I'm explaining to a lot of the ladies in the gym who have questions about it perhaps you have friends that are taking it. Um, and even at the weekend, I was, you know, explaining the pros and cons. I'm like, do you really want to be in a position whereby you are reducing your lean, your lean muscle mass, your skeletal muscle mass, the thing that's going to give you the longevity long term, the thing that's going to keep you bolt upright, keep that posture in place. And so people really are still trying to value aesthetic goals over um, physical strength and the things that are going to give them long-term health and fitness and vitality. So, yeah, it's a challenge on a daily basis, but that's why we're here, right? All right. So I'm going to have um, – this is real talk for, for the two of us. So uh, I went in a few weeks ago on an episode because of Osempic, and I'm, I'm diabetic, so this is, this is a big deal for – people that are in my shoes to be without a necessary pharmaceutical because other people are trying to lose that last five to 10 pounds. Mm. Um, and, and listen, I'm, I'm not necessarily against this, especially if people, if it, if it needs it. But I think what we're really taking away is that there is a vanity goal. There is a gratuitous fitness experience that people are trying to get right here's my my outcome is the the end result is i want to be thinner i want to be leaner i want to be uh, a little bit stronger and what i'm what i want what i want people to want is um uh the the health benefits that come along with fitness and there's, we don't know, like, what are the health benefits that come along with Osempic? I mean, for, for people that are diabetic, it's pretty dire. So it could be very helpful to have, have that. But what does it mean? Like, are you, are you fitter? Are you stronger? Uh, what, what's your path like? What's your general wellness like? Where the, the way that when we work out, when we exercise and we put ourselves in a mental state that helps to strengthen resolve, to push past obstacles, to put ourselves in an uncomfortable situation on purpose mm -hmm. to do something that makes me stronger physically and mentally. That changes the way we see things. That changes the way we see uh, and experience life mm -hmm. in a really positive, in a really positive way. And yeah. I'm a firm believer that, that that builds in other parts of our lives, right? Yeah. So when we do that here, in this microcosm, then I can take those challenges and I can start to apply it to other parts of my life and I get stronger and I get better and maybe I can become a, a better husband, maybe I can be a better father, maybe I can be a better business uh, owner mm -hmm. or an employee or whatever it is because we create these moments around this. 
And I don't think Osimbek does that for us. And so I that's kind of stuff really gets to me because when I ask you about your journey and you said that, let's say uh, you decided early, early on that you wanted to be in the Olympics. And I say, okay, great. Uh, but But you hated training. You didn't like training. There's nothing about training that you liked. Uh, there was no intrinsic motivation for it. And so uh, if I say, okay, well, you get to Olympics, you're not, you're not good enough, but how about this? We put a medal around your neck and we say that you're in the Olympics. Like there's no pride in that. Keep there's no, yes, yeah. <laughs> anyway, it. so I'm, you know, yes. I'm a big believer in what is, what you don't work for. Um, will be taken away from you very quickly. And so, um, you know, I think the thing that you were saying, the things that we see in fitness, but the reality of it is, you know, the things that we do towards our fitness become who we are. And so there's a level of integrity, I think, to um, to aspiring and to turning up, not just aspiring, but turning up every day and being intentional about your level of fit, fit, um, physical activity, being intentional about your nutrition and your diet, um, and being intentional about healing your body, whatever that means for you. Healing your body can be getting up and doing a 10-minute walk in the morning, um, and that being all you do for the rest of the day. Like, the, what are you doing for yourself um, that is enabling you to live a healthier, fitter leaner mentally physically emotionally lifestyle um so yeah i think you have something like that that you do for yourself oh absolutely um a number of things so for me um you know i've recently been playing with my own schedule so for example i typically start training my first client is at 6 a.m and i normally see six clients back to back it's a really very busy at the minute and that's just my diary in general so rather than wait until 4 p.m um, to do my own workout I've been tagging it on at the end of the day and scheduling it into my diary and that has completely changed the way that the rest of my day goes if I get out of the gym having seen my sixth client and go come home have lunch inevitably I'll take a two-hour nap like I'm a big napper. And that was like the same schedule that I had when I was competing in the Olympics and training twice a day. Right. And then by the time I wake up at four o'clock, I'm feeling groggy. I still want to do some work on the business. Um, but now it's a toss up. Do I answer these emails or do I go to the gym and get my workout done? And getting my workout done for me earlier on in the day, servicing myself with the same level of intention that I'm servicing my clients, yeah. does it just, it feeds me. Like I now have the rest of the day to work on the business and that becomes a little bit more um, somewhat voluntary. I get to pick and I get to prioritize and I have a clearer mind and I don't have to worry. And if I want to go downstairs and do another little, you know, 10 minutes on the elliptical or whatever I can, it's an absolute bonus. Um, so, yeah, the, I guess the thing that I've been doing this year differently is really serving myself um, as not necessarily before my clients, but serving myself as at the same time as serving my clients, but um, prioritizing you. Absolutely. And then going back to what you were saying before, I remember when we were talking, we were talking obviously about shortcuts and mm. it took me back to a memory of um, 
training for the Commonwealth Games. And um, when I was training for the Commonwealth Games, my coach actually left and, and got offered a job in London. So I was completely and utterly coachless. So I basically had to coach myself um, through the season, it's around about nine months. I didn't have a coach. I had to pull together a high jump coach, a shot put coach, a javelin coach. I had to pull together a training squad, like a running group to run with. And on Sundays was my 800 meter session. I, I hate running 800 meters. It's the only <laughs> thing that hurt. And so I had to set myself up in an environment that would cause me to succeed and that would hold me accountable. And so my friend Ben at the time um, would meet me at the track with a stopwatch and we'd go out on all I set myself on Sunday was my 800 meter session. That was all I could manage. Um, and it was the worst part of the week. And we would meet at the track at about 10 a.m. <laughs> and by 10.45, that 800 meter session would be done. And by the end of the kind of like, as we were approaching, I would say like the next last few months towards the competition, I've never felt so confident in all my life. And I remember saying to my physiotherapist, Paula, Paula, I'm going to win the Commonwealth Games. And he said, good mental attitude, Louise, I like that. I said, no, I'm going to mm. win the Commonwealth Games. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not gassing, I'm not talking it up. I'm going to win that competition. And the reason I knew I was going to win it is because I'd done the work. And yeah. on the day, I remember walking into the competition, there were three girls that, on paper that were way better than me. They'd scored better than me in every single competition they'd ever done. And on the day, I remember thinking this was my competition to lose. And by the time the fourth event was completed, the long jump, I was leading. And we went into the second day um, and I was leading after the fifth event, leading after the sixth event. And when it came to close in that 800 meters, I remember thinking oh. back to every single one of those Sunday morning 10 a.m. sessions with my friend Ben. And whilst it was a grueling 800 meters, when I got through it and my name flashed up number one on the board, there was nothing and no one that could have taken nice. that away from me. And everything I had went into that medal. And yeah. I can't explain. And I think that those people who are going through their journeys, whether that be, you know, a physical transformation, whether it be recovering from chemotherapy, whether it be getting, you know, into shape post their first baby, baby, when you are in the middle of that journey and it feels really, really tough, remember that's exactly how it's meant to feel. And that's oh, the thing wow. that makes you really, really special is the fact that not everybody has the mental capacity, the mental strength, the mental fortitude to do that for themselves. And that's exactly why you're here. You're supposed to challenge yourself on a daily basis. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, listen, Louise, I don't, I don't want to eat up all your time, but I do have uh, something else I want to talk to you about. But before we do, as we wrap up, is there... Is there anything, because these are personal trainers that listen to the podcast. Um, is there anything that, that you would like to say to fitness professionals right now that are here, that are listening to you, that you think would be um, motivating, yeah. inspiring? Um, well, first, I would say a technical point. I would say do not yeah. underestimate the value of power training. I feel like it is the yeah. one area that gets completely and utterly overlooked whenever I'm reading, you know, our course textbooks and I'm thinking about the application. I think this is the area that really, really is um, completely underutilized, um, especially in the gym. The goal is either to get smaller or to get bigger. Um, and especially amongst female populations, 
one of the techniques and one of the you know one of the methods and method modalities that I use is a lot of power training women don't typically want to get increase in um, size however they do want to increase in strength and so power training for me has been the key 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 modality for that um and you know fortunately for me i have an extensive background in it which is great so i would say um to personal trainers if you know somebody who has a background in performance sport in a power event seek them out um sit with them ask them about their training find out what the the type of uh, training that they were doing that was specific to their sport what are the things that you can bring into the gym that might be um great for your clients um, things that are not necessarily going to be high risk, but might be high reward um, and, and focus on those things. I think it's just so underutilized. And from an inspirational and aspirational per, um, perspective, um, be really efficient with your time. Mm. Like, you know, you don't just use your diary to schedule your clients, use your diary to schedule the rest of your life. So it might be your protein shake. Don't lose yourself because the reason I think that most of us got into the industry in the first place because we were either a fan of fitness or we were, you know, um, an athlete of some sort. Um, don't lose yourself in the process of serving others. Schedule in the things that make you um, a great athlete first and then schedule in your clients because you'll always, you'll always serve them with everything you've got. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, the last thing I wanted to ask you about, and this was just while you were talking, it made me think you mentioned that you were in the Olympics in 2012. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Is that the year that the Olympics were in London? Correct. Yeah, it was a home Olympics. Oh, yeah. What was that like for you? incredible you know for any athlete and you know obviously los angeles 2028 the olympics are coming here in, in 2028 which is so exciting um for any athlete it's just it's so rare for you as an athlete to get to compete at home championships a home olympic games yeah. never happens like the last one i think was i don't know in the 60s or something um so it really was a once in a lifetime opportunity um but not only that it was one that i had to fight for um yeah. And yeah. more importantly, the interesting thing about it was in track and field, I was the first person to step out on the track for Great Britain. So my, you know, my number or my bib and myself, I was the first um, athlete to step out into the stadium to compete for Great Britain. And I remember on that day, it was, we were concluding our event on Super Saturday. Now, Super Saturday was um, the uh, conclusion of the men's 100 metres. Um, Mo Farah in the 1500 meters, a British athlete who won gold. And then also my friend Greg Rutherford, who also won gold, plus my teammate Jessica Ennis, who also won gold. That's why Jessica it was Jessica Ennis. Yeah, it was yeah. super day. So um, Friday, when we stepped out into the track for the hurdles, the um, stadium was full, 80,000 people. Oh, but when wow. they saw my vest, because it was a home crowd, it erupted and it was electric. It was electric, oh. there's nothing like it. And so yeah. just when you're running around that bend for the 200 meters, you are floating. And um, things just feel much easier when you've got 80,000, 40 to 80,000 people cheering you on and cheering oh. you on. The adrenaline is next level. That 
is an incredible experience in a in a in a career where you've had some really really remarkable experiences and and I'm sure some some remarkable uh, disappointments as well. Oh, but <laughs> because such is life, absolutely. such is life. Yeah. And what I tell people too is, you know, you can't fear the failure because it is moving past the failures that allows us to get to our successes, right? So uh, don't fear that failure. And, and I think sometimes the, the fear of failure paralyzes us and keeps yes. us from trying to, to reach towards something more significant. Yeah, and I would say, I've, you know, I've definitely experienced this myself even as um, a trainer. I think there's a lot of the time that doubt, is this the mm -hmm. right exercise? Is this the right, um, right amount of reps? Is this the right amount of um, reps and sets? Is this the right amount of load? There are so many questions. Um, yeah. And the reality of it is the perfect program does not exist. It does right. not exist. The, you know, you're never going to get... Um, you know, let's say I like to program my clients. I like to create like an overview for a year and everybody's like, what the hell? And um, I don't <laughs> write that program in pen. That would be ridiculous. If right. I wrote that program in pen, that's just not how life works. But I like to have an overview of the journey that I want to take um, my client on. Like, what do I think that they can one rep max? Well, I'm not going to find out when we one and injure them. Um, but I might be able to find out in February 2024, and that's going to be really exciting. Um, and so, yeah, the perfect program does not exist. Be okay with tinkering and tweaking as you go along. Um, and also you'll find, I also have this weird kind of like, it's almost like a sixth sense when it comes to training. Pay attention to your clients. Like they're going to naturally be, uh, one of the things that I love to do is, when I work with my clients is figure out what type of athlete they would be in track and field. So oh, I'm like, interesting. Oh, yeah, Sarah, she's a 60 meter hurdler. I'm going to train her like a 60 meter hurdler. Oh, um, Georgina, she's like a discus thrower. Therefore I'd love to see a bit of this in her program. And oh, so, cool. you know, the beautiful thing I think about what we do at Slay is there's this, you, this connection, connecting people back to their, to their inner athlete. Um, and I say that to say, like, watch your clients, like really watch them. Are they better hingers than they are squatters than leaning into their hinge exercises? Like pull That's out the best of what it is they have to offer and focus on those things. And in at the heptathlon, what I would say, we used to spend twice the amount of time on our weaknesses than our strengths. So we would bring our weaknesses up to the even level of our strengths and then everything could move forward. Um, together so that's also another really uh, cute little tip especially if you see somebody struggling in one area you might want to sprinkle in as my husband says the um, the medicine in with the applesauce yeah nice yes well a, a little bit of applesauce helps the medicine go down uh, with that said uh, I want to express my gratitude for you taking time out of your day to be on the show I appreciate that. If um, if I can't, if you don't mind, can you give maybe your social media things like that where people can follow you if they want to know more about you? Absolutely, you can follow me at Louise Hazel, and uh, you can follow the gym Slay at Slay Athletic. Very good. Thank you so much for being here, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. I hope this 
helps to inspire you. It inspires me to, to learn better, do better, perform better. Um, she, she talked a lot about women's fitness. If, uh, if you haven't checked out, if that seems like something of interest to you and you haven't checked out the women's fitness specialist that NASM offers, that may be something of interest to you. If you'd like to reach out to me directly, you can do so. Hit me up on Instagram at dr.rickritchie, or you can email me rick.ritchie at nasm.org. Keep inspiring people to fitness. Keep doing what you're doing. Thanks for listening. This has been the NASM CPT Podcast.